Okay, so, yeah, yeah, yay. We thought we'd start this new thing for just for this year. If I walk over to this side of the stage, then you all stand up. And then as I walk across, you sit down and more, you know, stand. So doesn't that sound good, like fun? Yeah. Yeah, this place, this place needs to be uh, not like always serious, doesn't it? Uh, we need to come here and we, we know we're coming into the presence of the living God, but we know the living God loves us. And he's done everything that needs to be done to bring us into relationship with him fully, freely, so that we can just experience the fullness of his love and really um, have childlike hearts. Isn't that it? Childlike hearts. Yeah. All right. There we go. So um, I wanted to start today uh, just by sharing a little bit with you about baptism. And um, last week, if you were here, I shared a story about my father and about a time that I had uh, come right up to the brink of thinking of leaving ministry and how a letter that my dad wrote to me before he passed away, how that impacted me at that moment in time and gave me determination to keep on going and to, and to follow through with what I knew that God had called me to do. So um, my dad uh, grew up in a Christian home, had a godly mother. So he had respect for, uh, for Jesus, I guess, and respect for Christianity. But it was a distant thing. It wasn't a personal thing in his life. Not until he entered his 50s, then he came to know Jesus and, and had a real impact in his life. But um, because he had respect for the whole idea of it, when I was little and I wanted to go to Sunday school, he would get up on Sunday mornings, even though he had been out late Saturday night um, and out partying and, and um, stu- such. But uh, he would get up on Sunday morning and drive me to Sunday school. And so I, I grew up just going to Sunday school, not to church, a uh, few times in church, but mostly in Sunday school. But uh, when, I, when I got up into my high school years, I was still going to Sunday school as a freshman and a sophomore in high school. And uh, my sophomore year, they had a traveling evangelist come to the church. And so I don't know why or how this happened, but I ended up going to one of the services that uh, he was speaking at. And it ended up that this, this guy that was speaking at that service that night, the evangelist, had been an old friend of my dad's, which I didn't know until afterwards, and, and we didn't put that together until uh, later. But... Um, he gave the message, and at the end of it, he talked about receiving Jesus and how important that was. And uh, just for myself, it was just I wanted God. I wanted to know God, and this was what I needed to do was to, uh, to open my heart to Jesus. So I went forward at the end of that service and knelt down up at the front, and someone came up and prayed with me and helped me to pray to receive Jesus. And and I, man, I really felt the presence of God. I, uh, it was a, it was a real pro- profound moment in my life. And shortly after that, was baptized. They had a baptism service after after these evangelistic services that were held. And so, uh, in with a group of other people, I was baptized. We baptized by immersion there, and that was also a cool experience. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't the same as the night I accepted Christ, but uh, it was, you know, just something I did because I thought I needed to do this to obey Jesus. And yet about a year after that, I, 
I just drifted away from any type of a walk with Christ and uh, went into uh, three or four years of really uh, wild, destructive living. And um, theologically, I thought at that point that I had been saved and I lost my salvation. And then in 1971, is how I normally share my testimony is that I came to know Christ in 1971 listening to Billy Graham on TV. And um, that is when my life really, truly changed and when I, I engaged with Christ. But that interim period, I, you know, God knows, I don't. But when I came back into faith in Christ, then I started wondering, do I need to be baptized again? And I started thinking, well, am I really baptized? Is my baptism legitimate? And people, you know, sometimes will ask that. And I tell you the honest truth, I don't even know what it means. Is my baptism legitimate? I mean, that makes it more like a business transaction than, than anything else. But I, I always wondered that. Then I became a pastor of a church and I started baptizing other people. And every time I did, you know, it was kind of like, hey, wait a second. Are you really baptized? Have you really, you gotta humble yourself and be baptized right here, right now. No, no, I can't do that. What would everybody think? And, you know, I had all these things going on in my mind all the time. And uh, it was 1994, Lori and I were on a trip and um, we were with a group of believers and we came to a spot that was significant and they said they were gonna baptize people in this river. And so I thought, okay, now I'm going to get baptized right now. And there was another pastor there that I had really connected with on this trip. And this was when we were just really starting to understand the move of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I asked him to baptize me, and he did. And, uh, it, I mean, it wasn't like the heavens opened up. It wasn't like th there weren't any doves floating down on me at that moment uh, that I saw. Maybe there were, and I just wasn't aware of what was happening. But... Um, I, I, I knew at that moment that as someone that was walking with Jesus, there was no question in my mind then about that simple act of obedience to Christ in being baptized. And so uh, it, it, I, I guess you could say I was baptized twice, but um, with maybe the, yeah, I don't know, maybe the first one was really just honest before God and right. Maybe the second one was, but I, I wanted to share that with you because I want to tell you, I think baptism is important. Now, not important in a sense of it being a ritual that is removed from relationship with Jesus so that it's just a ritual that all Christians need to do, but important in the respect that Jesus said, follow me. And following, following him means that I'm staying close to him. It means I'm stepping in the same footsteps he stepped in and Jesus was baptized. I'm not going to go into why he was baptized for different reasons than us, but still he led the way. He led the way by being baptized. And I, I just want to say that out of relationship, be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, and, but you know Jesus, then I would just say, well, you're following Jesus and Jesus said to baptize. And so I, I just want to call on you and say, well, then What's stopping you? You know, go for it. And if, if you haven't really thought of it in these terms before, think of it totally in terms of relationship. It's all relationship. And so it's not like do this and you're okay, don't do this and you're not okay. It's not like that. It is like, Jesus, I'm following you. 
And you said, love my enemies. Okay, that's hard. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because you said to. You said, serve others. Well, I'm going to do that too. And you said, be baptized. I don't get how that fits, but I'm going to do it because you did it and I want to follow you. So it's, it's in relationship that, that we make a decision like that. And I just wanted to toss that out to you and leave that with you this morning to think about. Uh, baptism service next week is going to be great. And we are going to have uh, another class today at 1245 in the downstairs area of the church, down in where the, where the um, youth ministry is. So, all right, we're going to pray, all right? Father, um, yeah, we're all here because we've seen some of your beauty, and our hearts are telling us to pursue you. And we, we want to know you. So we just open our hearts to you right now. Ask you to speak to us. You know, even, even if some are here and you're not sure, you're just, you're just thinking, yeah, I, you know, I'm just not sure about this. I want to understand it better. Then just tell God that. Just tell him, I just, I just want to know if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Now reveal more of yourself to all of us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you remember last week, we talked about spiritual breakthrough. And um, one of the main points I wanted to make in this was that spiritual breakthrough is not the result of our effort. It's not the result of us bolstering ourselves and bolstering our strength and making strong, making determinations about what we're going to do and promises about what we're going to do. It's not that. Breakthrough comes when we see more of who God is and when we see more of what he has done for us and what he has done in us. When that happens, then there is a natural stepping ahead into deeper relationship with him. And when that happens, when, when God opens my eyes to see in a deeper way his beauty, then I just naturally turn away from other things and step into more of what he has for me. And, and that's how breakthrough occurs. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's something that God does in us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't cooperate with it. It doesn't mean that we don't have some part in it. We do. Our point of cooperation is saying, God, I'm willing. And, and if I'm not willing, then it is saying, God, I'm willing to be made willing. How's that? Let's just get back to that. God, I'm willing to be made more willing. I'm willing to be made willing to see more of you. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Just come and speak. Come and show me more of who you are. Show me more of the, the beautiful triune God. Show me more of the Father's love, more of the Son's love and of his presence here, more of the Holy Spirit's life and power. Show me more. When that happens, then we see life differently. And then things that bound us up, habits or thought patterns or fears, we're able to step beyond those. Not because we're focused on the fears themselves or the habit patterns and we're, and, and we're you know, trying to break them. They break when we displace them with Jesus. You get that? They break when they are displaced by the presence of Jesus in our lives. And he becomes more present as we see more of who he is and we just say yes to him. Now, 
This is a key thing for us to understand. It's foundational. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 really help us to understand this whole principle. I want to read through it with you here before we get into the main passage for the day. But Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Since the children are made of flesh and blood, he himself shared in the same, that through death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, and free all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, it says here, the children, and that's just how the writer of Hebrews chose to refer to us as people, human beings, the children. The children are made of flesh and blood. We're human beings. We're body, soul, and spirit. All three make up a human being. We are not spirits temporarily living in bodies. We are body, soul, and spirit, human beings. And so God chose to become one of us. And so Jesus took on human flesh. And what that means is not that he just occupied a body like, like, a, like, a, like possessing a body, but he became a human being. And so he became part of the human race. That's why it had to be a virgin birth because any other type of birth produces another sinful human being. Jesus was born in a virgin birth, which gave him full human DNA, but broke the pattern of inherited fallenness that he would have gotten if, if it had been a fully natural birth. And so he became human. And why did he do that? It, it tells us very clearly here. It wasn't so that he could set a good example for us, although he did. It wasn't just so he could be the best teacher the world's ever known. But he was, even though he was. But he became human because you have to be human to die. And death was what was ruling the human race. Ever since Adam and Eve turned away from God and they chose a different Lord, what they were doing was they were saying, God's not going to be king. We're going to make this other guy king. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know, understand what was happening. They were deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam walked in and was with his eyes open, I think, because he didn't want to leave Eve. So he chose Eve over God. Eve chose uh, to obey Satan over God. And they both fell. Now, ever since then, Satan had, had a grip on the heart and life of humanity. And that grip was death. Because God said, the day that you disobey me is the day you'll die. And it was spiritual death, but it also includes physical death. And so humanity lives under the fear of death. Humanity lives under the fear of death in, in the broadest terms. In, in the broadest terms, death includes loss. It includes sickness. It includes, uh, it, it includes uh, financial uh, catastrophe. It includes relational breakdown. In the broadest sense, it includes addictions. Death, death spreads out to be more than just dying at the end of your life. And it is all the things that are associated with death. And so we live with fear. What's going to happen? Stock market, wow. Worst week the stock market's ever had. What's going to happen? I don't know, but I know Jesus. Okay? You know? 
So we don't have to live with the fear of that aspect of death. That's an angle of death. Fearing provision is an angle of death. And we can trust God with our futures. We can trust God with our health. We can receive his healing because he releases it through his son, Jesus. But Jesus came to destroy. He came to destroy a system that was holding sway over the human race. And so he came so he could experience death. And he experienced death. And by him dying, it was like death Death swallowed more than it could chew or chewed more than it could swallow or something like that. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. My grandmother had a saying that like your eyes are bigger than your belly. Death enveloped Jesus and then realized that it had made a huge mistake because it couldn't hold Jesus. And Jesus burst out of the grave. There There was no way death could hold him. And in that, he broke the power of death. You see that? Yeah. So that's our victory. That's our breakthrough right there. That's where we get breakthroughs because I'm in Jesus and he is in me. And so his victory is my victory. Yeah. You know, his, his defeat of death is my, I've defeated death also because of him. I'm in him and he's in me. And when we see that and understand that and walk in that, that's called faith. And faith releases what God has done actually into our lives. And that doesn't mean faith in the sense of, I, you know, I have to stir up like this positive mental attitude in the sense that, that faith is absolute mental certainty. Faith is, I'm going to obey you. Faith is, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to trust you with this. Faith is, all right, you want me to walk over there and do this. I'm going to do it. Faith is taking the risk of obedience and faith is seeing what Jesus has done and saying, okay, that's how I'm going to live. I'm going to walk in that and I'm going to live for you, Jesus. And what the, the word that is used here, uh, the word destroy, what he's destroyed is a system of life that was based upon the fear of death that resulted in lifelong slavery. Okay, he destroyed a system of life that was based on a fear of death that Satan took advantage of and held us as slaves our entire lives. And so Jesus destroyed that, and the word destroy here, actually it has the meaning of displacing something, not just like going up and smashing something with a baseball bat. You know, like your TV frustrates you and it's old and you take it out and you smash it and walk away from it. It's not like that. That's not what it means. It, not just breaking something, not destroying something like that, but destroying something in the sense of displacing it. The same way light destroys darkness. If we're, if we're in darkness, let's say the whole room is dark, light automatically destroys the darkness. It doesn't have to do anything. It's just, it, it, it displaces the darkness. And so what Jesus did to destroy the power of Satan was to bring in light. He just brought in light. To destroy the power of bondage, he brings freedom. And freedom replaces the bondage. And life replaces death. And it's when we, see, we need revelation of this. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I studied that. On and on. No. Every day, I, I want to understand this deeper. 
Every day, I want, to, I want to have a deeper revelation of this and understand it more. And in new situations in my life, I want to see it in, in this relationship area of my life. And I want, and I want to see it more as, as I, whatever, finances or my work or my marriage or my child rearing or whatever area of life. I want to see what this means that you have displaced this old system of death based on fear that leads to slavery. I want to understand that better and experience that more in my life. When, we, when that's the case, then breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough occurs in our lives. Now, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that um, really illustrates this. It's an Old Testament story from a very, very early on in Israel's history. It's from 1 Samuel 7, and we'll get to the actual passage in a moment or two. But uh, do you know that in the Old Testament, we read these fantastic stories that some of them had two, three, four, five hundred years between stories. And, and we see this, this story where it's just this kind of like this download of revelation about God. That here's this point in the nation of Israel's history where God just downloads his love and his mercy and his grace and his power. And it all just comes right there. And we look at that and what we need to realize is that that event was intended to picture the fullness of the kingdom that we experience today. Okay, that event is given not to show us how we can have events like that, but how we can live every day breathing the same air, how we can live every day walking in that revealed love, that covenant love, that faithfulness, that power that God revealed. And he revealed it in a moment of time at an event. And today, since the resurrection of Jesus, since death is defeated, you and I get to live in that every moment of every day. That's what those are intended to teach us. And so this story is a powerful story. It's from early on in Israel's history. And, um, before they had any kings or anything like that. They're just kind of like a confederation of tribes. They get along sometimes, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they go to war against each other even. But um, at this point, they, they have a priesthood and they have a, a central religious focus around worship and, and an understanding, a, a revelation from God about who God is. And yet they don't really understand who they are and they're coming to understand better who God is, but they're very often in rebellion against God. And so uh, this, this nation at times were worshipers, and at other times they just lived like the pagans. And so this is a season of time where they've been living outside relationship with God. And what would happen would be they, they're living outside God's blessing, and so they've stepped out of God's blessing, and so they're experiencing some form of uh, pain and difficulty, and this came in the form of the Philistines, the Philistine nation, and the Philistines were oppressing them, and they had a war with the Philistines. Now, they came to a point where they realized that they had what was called the Ark of the Covenant. That was something that had been designed and built to reveal to them God's presence, to reveal to them God's beauty, who he is, how wonderful he is, how holy he is, how just he is, how loving he is. 
And so they have this religious article that God's given them. They have this, this ark. And uh, when, they, when they worshiped in the right way, God's presence was revealed there. The ark was kept in a tabernacle in a place where God's presence was literally revealed in this glowing, effervescent uh, presence in the Holy of Holies. And so this generation, although they've abandoned the Lord, they remember the Ark of the Covenant. And they decide that when they go into battle, what they need to do is to take the Ark of the Covenant with them and lead the way with that because then surely God will give them victory. Now, that wasn't their idea. That had happened in the past. When they, when they marched through the wilderness, the, the tabernacle, the, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant would lead the way. And when they had gone into battle under Joshua, when they had first gone into the promised land, it was often that the Ark of the Covenant would <clears throat> lead the way. And would, would, they would carry right into battle. But these people, having abandoned God, take the Ark and they're using it like a rabbit's foot. They're using it like a lucky charm. And, and what this is, is this is the essence of religion. Because this form without presence is religion. See, form, they had form, but they, they were exercising that form outside relationship with God. And so... The, the whole thing was just a religious show on their part. Now, we need, to be, we need to learn from this because we need to recognize that it's easy for us to fall into religious tendencies. It really is. You know, it's so easy for us to say, well, I had my quiet time at this desk right here in the house, and God really blessed me. So, man, from now on, I'm going to have my quiet time at that desk. That's going to be it. Never, nowhere else has to be there. There might be something to say for reading in the same place, but that's religion. When I think this is where God met me, so I've got to do it over and over and over and over again. Or if I prayed for somebody once and I saw God answer the prayer, because when I prayed for them, I waved my hand this way. Oh, why they need to wave my hand that way all the time. So then every time I pray, I wave my hand and then other people see that. And pretty soon you have a whole church full of people that every time they pray, they're waving their hand. And now for some of them, it might be what God wants them to do. And if it is, then it's real. If it's not, then it's religion. Okay. You get that? Okay. So the, the certain words that I say, well, I led my friend to Christ because I said these words. Boy, I wrote those words down in the fly leaf of my Bible. And here I am talking to somebody else that is interested in spiritual things. And I get it out. Okay, get ready. Here you go. God loves you. And he has a wonderful plan for your life. If you just open your heart to Jesus. There it is. It worked the last time. It's going to work this time. You see, that's religion. Because we're taking form and we're using form outside the realm of relationship. And so that's where freedom comes in. And we've got to be free. We've got to be free to recognize relationship shows up, but it shows up in different ways each time. That's why you look at the life of Jesus. He didn't heal people the same way every time. He, he didn't have like a standard approach. And it was the very purpose of that was to avoid the religious implications of that. 
And so in our lives, we have to, we have to be asking, what are, some of the, what are some of the religious things? What are some of the Ark of the Covenants that I think, oh, if I just do that, if I had just done this, if I had just, done, if I had just called my mother on time, then this bad thing wouldn't have happened to me or, or whatever it might be. You know, what are some of the religious duties that we feel we have? Because that's keeping us from greater intimacy with Jesus. That is, that is blocking us from experiencing breakthroughs in our spiritual lives. And that's something that we have to see. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, reveal to us. Show us more who you are. And as we see more of who he is, these other things kind of fall off and we step beyond them. And they hadn't stepped beyond that yet. And they're using the ark like a lucky charm. And so they go out. And uh, the Philistines just whomp them. They lose. They lose the battle and they lose the ark. And the town that the ark was stored was, was in Shiloh where people would go to worship. That town is destroyed and the ark is taken away by the Philistines. So now the Philistines have the ark. What are they going to do with it? Well, like true pagans, just kind of like the Israelites, they decide, wow, we've got this religious artifact now. We've got this. We had Dagon, our God. We had Baal, Dagon's son. And now we've got the Ark of the Covenant. So we're really got, the, we've, got the, we've got it going on now. I mean, we have all the, we've locked up all the local gods in the whole region. They're ours. And we're going to put them all in this one temple. And so they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And even though it got there the way it did, God says, hey, look, that's my ark, represents my presence. Dagon, you're going down, okay? And so the, through these events that occur, it ends up the statue losing its hands and feet and falling down uh, right in front of the ark. And so the Philistines, they're still like pagan religious, and, and so just a pagan religion. So they're just thinking, well, what do we do to get rid of this? We could get rid of the Ark of the Covenant, and then we'll be okay again. And so to them, it's magic, and so got to get rid of that. So they want to ship the Ark of the Covenant back. But what's happening is that the Israelites are mad at God. I mean, they're, they've drifted from him. And when they called upon him, he didn't show up. And so the magic didn't work. And so they're disillusioned and they're either angry or they're just outside the realm of faith altogether, and they're cynical, and I know our forefathers told us all those stories, I don't believe them, and I, we don't want the Ark of the Covenant. And so they didn't know what to do with it, so it starts off here in, in uh, verse 1, and there's, there's these years of spiritual emptiness. They've been experiencing years of spiritual emptiness, but now in verse 1, it says, the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. So the ark comes back. What do we do with it? Well, Shiloh's wasted. We can't take it back there. So Abinadab's a good guy. He's a godly man. Let's give it to him. So this guy, Abinadab, takes the ark and they consecrate his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. So they're honoring God by, by recognizing that, that this representation of his presence is special and then it says, from the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. All right, 20 years go by, and finally they lament. What, what that means is that they regretted, they experienced sorrow, 
They experienced grief over the, the fact that they were, they were missing God's presence. They were missing God's presence. And so they lament over the lack of presence of God. And their hearts are broken over this. And so um, it took 20 years to get there, though. A lot of pain to get there. But you know what? The pain wasn't what did it. Because there was a whole generational change in these 20 years. You know, biblically, a generation is considered to be 40 years. But in those 20 years, all the ones that were making the decisions before have moved on now. And there's a new generation of leaders in place. And it's this new generation of leaders that look at the whole situation and say, hey, we've lost something. And if the older ones that are around, maybe they went to them and said, what the heck? Tell us the stories. Why did you do that? Don't you realize you gave away our birthright? You abandoned our heritage and we want it back. And so the, the nation itself, this, this new crop of, of people in the nation, they're hungering for God and desiring God because of all the years uh, without him. And so they're just, they're just calling out. They want more of God. And... I mean, obviously, I, some of us could be here and we could be saying, you know, I've gone for years. I've, I've gone through the motions. I've come to church. I've sung the songs. I've done this. I've done that. But I, I need more. I, I, my heart hungers for the presence of God. I want his presence. And boy, that's, that's, what, that's what he designs us for is for his presence. We are designed to hunger for God. That the psalmist said, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. You got to picture that, a deer running through a dry, arid region and waiting and waiting and waiting and knowing there's a stream. And you, the deer gets to that stream and it's dry. And so the stream, keep, the deer keeps running, it keeps running until it finally comes and it finds a stream of water. And its thirst is so great, and it satisfies its thirst with that water. That's what our hearts are like, thirsting after God. That's what we're designed for. And so that's what we just got to say, okay, God, do in me what you designed me to be. Create hunger within me. I want to walk in that hunger. Um, you know, hunger is such an important thing. What would it be like if you were never hungry physically? I mean, you were never hungry for food you'd lose all the enjoyment of food. You'd just lose it. Be gone. Uh, you know, if you're married, what if you never had any passion for your spouse? Just what? no hunger, no desire, no passion. Yeah, we live in the same house. Yeah, we go to movies together. Man, the intimacy of relationship you miss if there's no hunger, if there's no passion, if there's no longing no desire. Who wants to live without passion? That's, life is very vanilla then, and not that good vanilla bean ice cream. It's just plain old cheap vanilla, you know? Yeah, I like, I like the good vanilla. So, oh God, give us hunger. We want to have hunger. We want to have passion for God. That's what makes life worth living. And that's what they're starting to understand. And so Samuel then, Samuel says to them in second uh, couple of verses that I called this hearts begin to turn. Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods 
and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. You see, they had adapted, they had adopted substitutes, things that would satisfy or make the hunger not so bad. And what are the substitutes? What's the thing you run to? Not when you're just tired and you need a break, but the thing you run to to kind of uh, to, to kind of salve your depression. You know, there's no guy into pornography that isn't trying to just just uh, take care of the depression and hopelessness, and somehow it gives them some form of of comfort or of excitement that enlivens the heart somehow. It, but it, it doesn't have to be pornography. It could be shopping. It could just be flat-out TV. It could be sports. It could be so. It could be making money or music or so many different things. It could be a human relationship. But whatever it is that we're using to try to kind of salve that and, and kind of keep the, the, the pain level down, what God wants to do is displace the pain with a hunger for his presence because that's what Jesus does. That's how he destroyed the works of the devil was to displace the darkness with the presence of the kingdom. And so the hunger for the kingdom is what displaces the depression and all of the, all of the other crap that, that creeps into our hearts and our lives that draws us away from God. So th- that's a conscious thing to turn away from those things. And I want to tell you this, if doubt and cynicism are part of your life, the thing that overcomes that is desire. It is hunger. It is desperation for God. When I become desperate for God, then the doubt and the cynicism are, they don't mean anything. I'm desperate for God, for relationship with him. I want to experience him. And then my doubts or my fears or my judgment of others or what I fear others think of me, those things all just fall by the wayside because passion will override all of those. And it's passion and desperation that will press push me and draw me into deeper and deeper intimacy and relationship with Jesus. And so that's, that's what here, they're willing to do that. And they're, they're dumping everything and tossing it aside. And do you know, in this case, it was um, a new generation, uh, so to speak, that, that really rose up and said, we're hungry for God. We want our birthright. We don't, we don't, want, we don't want to lose that. And I, and I was thinking during worship in the first service that I am so thankful to be part of a church where it's not like the people in this 20-year range are hungry for God, in this range they aren't. I'm so thankful to be in a church body where people in my age range are hungry for God and people younger than me are hungry for God too. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And just think, what God does here is bring total revival uh, well, just think what God does when, when you have generations that are united in our hunger for God and our passion for Jesus and our, our longing to see him come. And we, we don't care any longer whether we've done it that way before or whether people might laugh at us for what we're doing or whether it might succeed or fail. All we care about is knowing him, staying close to him, walking with him and obeying him and, and moving ahead in that. And so... Uh, yeah, desire. And so they, they responded to this, and it, 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 the celebration begins. But this celebration becomes a battle. 
Here's the deal. It says, Samuel said, uh, gather all Israel at Mizpah. That was like a big gathering place, kind of like a convention place today. And I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we've sinned against the Lord. Now, fasting doesn't earn us anything before God, but uh, if I'm desperate enough, sometimes I'm going to pursue him instead of eating. And sometimes I, I, I give up eating just because I want to pursue him. And giving up the eating somehow clarifies my mind and my thinking and opens me up to more revelation. It doesn't win me anything. It just takes some of the distractions out. But here they are. And they're pouring water out. Now, why do they do that? Well, water represents life. And pouring it out is a very visible thing. Here we have this container filled with water. That's us. We're pouring our lives out for you. We're just going to pour it out and let the ground soaks it up and it's gone. And we just say, God, that's all we want. We're going to pour our lives out for you. And whatever you do with them, wonderful. We, we want to honor you. We want to know you. It's like John Wimber used to say that he, viewed, he was the first leader of the vineyard. And he said he viewed his life as change in God's pocket. You know, God, here I am. I'm yours. If you want to pull the change out and spend me for a cup of coffee, that's fine. Or you want to give it to some, whatever you want to do with it. And so that's what they're symbolizing is their complete commitment. And it says, now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the Philistines here, okay, all Israel doesn't mean every single man, woman, and child in the nation. It means a representative gathering of significant uh, people from the nation. So the whole nation's represented. And the Philistines are thinking, man, if we can go up and kill all of them, we'll, we'll nip this in the bud right now. Whatever rebellion's happening, we'll stop. And so they're afraid. And what, what we need to know is that when breakthrough happens in our lives, there will be resistance. The darkness pushes back. We push the darkness and the darkness pushes back. And then we, it, with the authority of Christ, we push it away. Okay, but we have to recognize, doesn't mean we did something wrong. You know, it could be that you've, you and your spouse have discussed it. And you've said, you know what, we're going to make this work. We're going we're gonna to make our marriage work. We're going to recommit to it. And all that other talk of ending it has gone. We're going to make it work. And then within a day, you have the very worst fight you've ever had as a couple. And at the end of it, you're just standing there saying, how did that happen? I mean, just between married couples. Any couple here ever had a fight where halfway through the fight, you don't even know what you're fighting about. You just want to be Right. And then you start fighting about who started the fight. <laughs> and so that happens, and then suddenly you're thinking, oh, man, what dummies. Who do we think we were determining that we were? No, that's, that's what happens. There's spiritual warfare in all of this. And that's, that's part of the warfare. And so we, we, we expect the resistance. We don't, we don't crumble because of it. And so Samuel was offering up burnt offerings. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel. Listen to what the Lord did. It says, the Lord thundered a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. Okay, isn't that awesome? Yeah. Uh, these, these people that are terrified, all right, God shows up. He thunders. Do you know why he thundered? What, lightning, the whole deal. But the Philistines thought their God, Dagon, was in charge of the lightning and thunder. 
And so God comes in and just lets this thunder rip that just shakes them to their very bones. And they are uh, terrified and they flee. And now the people that were afraid are emboldened and they, they go and they have a great victory. And so uh, we, we, we trust God. And when you fight, face that battle and, and you've, made, you, you've had a breakthrough and then you're slammed and you, you, you still you trust God through that. And you let him fight the battle. And you rely on what he's already done to you. And then it goes on to say that all the cities that the Philistines had taken were restored to Israel. And uh, what a great picture of restoration. We have to recognize that part of breakthrough is restoration. We, we gain back what we lost. We gain back what we gave up. God returns it to us. He restores it to us. He restores the years. He restores the joy. He restores relationships. He restores blessings. And so he gives back what was taken when we, when we experience breakthrough. And um, man, that's what we want. That's what we want, isn't it? As a people, as a church body. And again, if you're here and this is your first time here and you're just saying, man, I just came because I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to know about God. Uh, well then I, I just say, just, just say to him, Jesus, if you're real, show me. Just, just open your heart and say, if you're real, speak to me and show me that you're real. And to just see what happens, okay? But uh, what we're going to do now is go into worship. And so the worship team is going to be coming out. Lee's going to come back up and lead us through.